You can now take KRBN Internet News Talk Radio with you on your mobile phone as we are making it easier to listen to the great hosts here on KRBN, including our very own West Lane County Commissioner, Jay Bozovich. It's free and available on Google Play. Just look for player.fm. That's player.fm and search for KRBN. Live from Lane County, Oregon, it's the Bose Nose Show with your host, West Lane County Commissioner, Jay Bolchevich. And now, here's Jay. And good afternoon. And it's another lovely day in the Pacific Northwest, and truly a lovely day because we've got clear skies, an air quality index of 27, which is in the good range, and it's the first day like this probably in almost a month where we haven't had smoke in the Willamette Valley from all the wildfires, which we'll probably talk about quite a bit today on the Bose Nose Show. But welcome to the Bose Nose Show, and I'm your host, West Lane County Commissioner Jay Bozovich. And this is a free-for-all day, so you can control the topic. Uh, if, if not, you're going to have to listen to what I want to talk about for the next hour. But just call us at 646-721-9887, and just press 1, and that lets Robin, my call screener producer extraordinaire, know you want to get in on the conversation and we'll talk about what you want to talk about. Again, that's 646-721-9887, and just press 1. And uh, you can also get to us by email at talk at krbnradio.net. That's talk at krbnradio.net. And uh, we can, you can do that even when we're not live on the show and uh, suggest uh, guests that I might bring on or other topics. So uh, just, uh, you know, if you want to get in on the conversation, just dial 646-721-9887. And don't forget to press 1. That lets uh, Robin know you want to get in. So it's been an interesting week uh, in the last week or so. We've had everything here from uh, evacuation notices way up near the McKenzie Bridge area of Lane County to smoke inundation that had air quality indexes up above 400. Uh, mind you, at 500, they consider it uh, an air quality emergency. So we were, in, we were not far from going into an absolute emergency situation here in Lane County, truly unhealthy to be out breathing the air. And why is that? because of all the wildfires that are uh, burning mostly to our west here in, in the Eugene Springfield and the southern end of the Willamette Valley. And the ones that we're really getting the smoke from are somewhat to our northwest, um, sorry, northeast of us, because it's those northeast winds uh, as we get high pressure systems that bring that smoke into us. Uh, and, and actually, sometimes it's the upper air currents that we're actually bringing us the smoke. But we've just got, you know, about uh, 600,000 acres of Oregon is now on fire at this time. Now, mind you, only about 36,000 of that or so is BLM, Oregon Department of Forestry, private lands that are protected by the Oregon Department of Forestry through their cooperative partnership with private landowners and the BLM. All the rest of that is U.S. Forest Service lands for the most part. And uh, yeah, that's really kind of sad when you see all these um, national forests just up in smoke. And particularly, uh, you know, some really scenic areas of, of Oregon are on fire uh, right now. The Columbia River Gorge has been heavily damaged by fire. Uh, we've got wilderness uh, all over the place that's on fire which gets to a whole issue of, uh, you know, forest management and wildfire management. And what are the, some of the underlying causes of such a heavy fire season? Because when, it, when you get right down to it, this wasn't the hottest summer we've had. It wasn't the driest summer we've had. It just happened to be that most of the fire ignitions this year started on U.S. Forest Service lands 
where, to be quite frank, they let them burn uh, in some areas, particularly in wilderness. There is actually a U.S. Forest Service directive, and if you if you if you ever want to see these, you can just Google U.S. Forest Service directives, and you'll find their page and, the, and there's an index of them. If you go under um, wildfire and wildernesses, there's an actual directive that says lightning caused wildfires in a designated wilderness will not be fought. They want them to burn naturally. Well, that might be great for a couple million acre wilderness up in Alaska or you know some other areas, but most of the wilderness areas in Oregon aren't all that large relative to the, the size of the state. Uh, and in fact, the one that caused the biggest fire in the state, the uh, Chetco Bar Fire in the Kalmyopsis Wilderness, you know, that's only um, a couple hundred thousand acres. Uh, at most, it's not a, uh, you know, a nice circular wilderness where, you know, you can keep things contained. It's kind of it's irregularly shaped, so it has a lot of boundary with private lands, and a fire is not going to stay on that wilderness. So they let that Chetco Bar fire smolder for weeks at less than 50 acres. You know, actually, the original fire was reported as a half acre. Uh, would have been pretty simple to put out, and all they did was monitor it for a couple of weeks, and then the wrong weather conditions cropped up and it blew up into the largest fire in the U.S. this year. Uh, and it's just sad what it's done for uh, the economy of Southern Oregon. I can't imagine what it's done to the tourism industry of Curry County. Uh, you know, the abandoned area and all those golf courses being inundated by smoke, the Gold Beach, uh, just, you know, horrid conditions down there uh it you know maybe they're getting some you know all the firefighters that are having to to, to come to that area might be spending some money and maybe they're getting some relief from that but those firefighters are being paid with our tax dollars uh whereas tours aren't tourists aren't paying for their meals with our tax dollars uh and that leads to a whole nother discussion of how they fund firefighting in the u.s forest service there is no separate emergency fund or, you know, funded like a um, response to a flood from FEMA or something like that. They do something they call fire borrowing, whereas if they run through their reserve that's set aside for firefighting, which they seem to do every year, they start spending money that and borrowing money from operational funds, funds that would be used for fuel management in these areas. You know, to go in and do things like controlled burns when it's wet enough to uh, actually uh, not get away from folks and, and do some 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 good in burning uh, understory and ladder fuels, uh, thinning projects where it's not wilderness. Uh, it's just, you know, all those sort of things. That's where they take the money from. So they leave the forest in horrible condition use that money up fighting these massive fires that they don't fight in the first place with a good initial attack. And next thing you know, we've got 600,000 acres on fire in Oregon, and uh, we're dealing with air quality indexes in the three to 400 range, uh, extremely unhealthy. Uh, we're seeing a lot of uh, emergency room visits from folks having asthma attacks, uh, severe allergy attacks, uh, and uh, other respiratory problems in, in our area, there's a cost to this. And it's not just, you know, the cost of the, that, that, what that value of that timber could have been had it been harvested. And it's not just the cost of every um, spotted owl nest that goes up in flames and other environmental damage, but there's a health cost to our population and an economic cost uh, to the population here. Uh, you know, when we're having days where they're telling people to stay inside and we're having to cancel everything from softball tournaments to uh, football games and, 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 you know, even the University of Oregon sent their football team down to Florence to practice a couple of weeks ago because the air quality was so bad. 
it's just it's it has a, a just incredible repercussions and it seems like somewhere somebody would wake up and go we can't keep doing this something's wrong here you know we can't borrow money for fuels reduction to fight fires and then not do the fuels reduction and then we end up having to borrow the money again next year because the fires are so big and so hot and it, and speaking with a forester uh, that works for a private company type fires we're having now are so hot that they're actually causing what they call ground fire where it actually burns into the root systems and follows the roots down and and chars all the roots literally cooking the soils to to sterility and these kind of fires are not going to naturally revegetate you know very easily at all and you know the real concern now particularly in this Chetco bar fire because it's the second fire of this kind that's burned over that area this, this fire is burning and what was the biscuit fire uh from back in in uh the early 2000s about 12 years ago that biscuit fire burned and um the the come winter when we get these you know typical northwest winters where we're going to get 40 to you know particularly in the coast range as much as 100 inches of rain over the winter uh we're going to lose that soil and there's going to be no revegetation and so all these wilderness areas where they won't you know they won't allow you to salvage log they and which is why you know the biscuit fire is reburning because that was still had enough fuels on it uh left over from the first time they won't let you revegetate and all we, we may lose soils there and you may not see the same kind of forest ever come back in some of these areas let alone what that soil movement's going to do to the endangered coho salmon population in the rivers and streams that you know are just you know pristine in some of these areas you know this this is you know the the, the illinois river the rogue river uh, of course the chetco it's really um you know one of those things where you know there's so much downstream damage that comes from this that we really need to have a national conversation about our uh, our forest management policy uh, how we respond to wildfires what we do as far as initial attack and uh, really uh, you know want to get uh, really want to get on top of all this and 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 start you know thinking a little bit outside the box and I have a friend, you know, who's a longtime person in the forest, um, you know, has a, a forest management company. They do a lot of, of uh, controlled burn work and slash burning and stuff like that. Uh, uh, and he's been in the forest for years and has watched and changed and all that stuff. And really, you know, one of the things he says strikes home with me is, is that the extremes on either end aren't the answer. You know, complete utter management where we have forests like um you know europe where you can actually see the trees planted in a grid you know and they harvest clear-cut harvest every 40 years or whatever that's not really what we're looking for in forest management and the absolute leave it alone on the other end and let it all go natural um isn't working because it hasn't really been natural uh, in this area in the past so there's somewhere in the middle with a combination of natural and and man you know man-made management somewhere in there there's an answer and we really have to have a discussion about that but it looks like uh wayne uh wants to get in on the conversation here with a question or comment wayne what what do you think of all this forest management well i'll tell you i, I got a question for you you just a minute ago said they won't let us they who won't let us you were talking about going in and cleaning up. Uh, the Forest Service directives relative to uh, the Calmeopsis wilderness and other wilderness areas that have burned specifically do not allow for uh, some of the, the operations. You can't cut roads in those wildernesses, so therefore you can't get in there and do the salvage logging. Uh, remember, there was a huge fight after the biscuit fire about whether or not they could do any salvage logging in there. And of course, 
salvage logging has a, a, a clock running on it. If you don't do it almost right after the fire, that timber that's been charred will actually start to rot and lose value. And, and every, every day it stands out there, it starts losing more and more of its value. And in fact, what's really sad is in the Checo Bar area, they've, they've closed down logging so much that the, uh, the mill that was close to that area is actually closed and out of business. So there's not even a mill close by to take the logs to. Uh, it would have to be trucked quite a distance to be milled. So um, the actual Forest Service directives are what, what prevent, you know, the, the ability to go in there and do post-fire um, management and also you know, post-fire planting. What they take, take, sure. take a breath. Sure. Who owns that timber? Who owns that land? The uh, federal government. Now you think about the Constitution owned, before you answer it. Who owns that land? Yeah. I was just gonna. What I was saying was the federal government, who was formed by we the people. So we the people own that land. We the people of Oregon own that land, not we the people of the United States ran from Washington, D.C. We, the people inside of the Washington or Oregon boundaries, own that land according to the Constitution. The U.S. government is allowed forts and ports, and that's only by written permission of the people of Oregon. Now, who owns that land? And why do we have to answer to Washington, D.C.? Did yeah, you faint? Yeah, you know, other than the fact that, yeah, now, I other than the you. fact that, you know, sorry, if, if we went in there now, and I don't know who we would be, uh, I would, you know. I still if, can't say, hear you. Uh, can you hear me now, Wayne? If you what? You what? Yeah, can you hear me now? Now I can hear you. Okay, great. Sorry about that. Um it, you know, we, you know, say Warehouser went in there, you know, decided that they that they have the right to go in there and do that salvage logging. Unfortunately, it would probably lead to some kind of major standoff between the federal government and we, the people of Oregon, trying to do that stuff. So I'm not sure who would be willing to take that chance and and uh, take the liability and the safety of their employees on it to do that. So it's kind of it, it's a difficult situation where we have to go in and log it to, to yep i'm talking you know i'm talking know, about what you did when you first got on the phone and you started talking was you were talking about what mm -hmm. a shitty job the forest service is doing and i'm just agreeing with you 100 percent. they've been yep. doing a lousy job for the last 30 years ever since a spotted owl jumped into the scene and they started taking it over piece by piece by piece. Why don't we get rid of them? Run them clear out of the state. We don't need them. Have you looked at the list of secretaries and vice whatever's going down through there that all this has to go through before something gets done in Oregon? And why is that? Why don't we just take the land back? Yeah. Why don't you commissioners get together, not just in Lane County, but in the whole state and tell the governor that we're tired of it and take it back you want to you want I'm, I, I wrote a whole bunch of questions out for the Forest Service today okay their answer was unfortunately we have to deal with the cards we are dealt well I don't believe that at all you know we are citizens I don't have to deal with the cards I am dealt we are citizens of Oregon we own this state yeah, we do, and but just, unfortunately, and, and look at the, the, look at their little tag name. They have this little tag name, Forest Access for All. And Forest Access, when they want to let you in, and at the price they want to let you in for, they go out and they block off all yeah. of these access roads, so they can't go in and fight the fires, and we can't drive on them. You know, why do we put up with that? Yeah, I, I, 
Yeah, I'm right there with you, Wayne. I'm as frustrated as you, but unfortunately, our leadership in the state of Oregon doesn't agree with with the commissioners. That, well, we got to start someplace, and I with- just started, and I'm complaining to my leadership. Now, why don't you get together and okay. complain to your leadership and do it as a group? Don't you try to do it by yourself. I mean, organize. Get these guys run out of the state. Yeah, well, we-, we got the Forest Service. We got EPA. And we have got the BLM, all three of them, federal agencies in our state telling us what we can do, when we can do it, and where we can do it. Yeah, There's a guy I, that I, went to prison. I agree with you. There's a guy that went to prison for a year because he had collected rainwater on his land. That could have been used to fight forest fires, right? If everybody collected rainwater mm-hmm. in ponds on their property instead of listening to the EPA and their bunch of garbage. You know, we have control of our forests. Clear cuts. That's a good fire break, a good clear cut. It goes up to that spot and stops. EPA doesn't let us. Forest Service doesn't let us. BLM doesn't let us. Warehouser would love to do it. Roseburg Lumber Company would love to do it. Yep. I'll tell you what, and, I'm and going you know, to get off here, and I'm going to let you answer these questions to whoever's listening. All right. Well, thank, thanks for calling, Wayne. I appreciate the call. So, so Wayne uh, raised some good questions, and it is, you know, he, he is right. We do have to do this uh, together, and there is a group called the uh, ONC uh, counties Association, which is the Oregon and California Railroad lands counties that uh, have all these BLM lands checkerboarded uh, with private lands. And there's 18 of those counties in this state that have those uh, specially designated lands. And we meet on a regular basis and are a, a unified voice uh, about federal forest management and have been asking for um, those lands to be transferred into a a uh, trust uh, that's run for the benefit of the counties uh, and not the federal government. And that hasn't gone very far because we don't really have support of that idea with the leadership from uh, the state house up in Salem and also uh, the leadership of the legislature that mostly comes out of, you know, frankly, the Portland city of Portland that's kind of running this state right now. So it's kind of a fight where we've got county commissioners like myself, uh, Derek DeGroote from Klamath County. Uh, you know, I could I'd name a whole bunch of other commissioners, uh, Chris Boyce down in Douglas County. We're all together singing the same tune, wanting to get control of these federal lands in, in the state of Oregon. Uh, unfortunately, it's the state that's got to really push that issue because it's a it's an issue that really uh, falls back to uh, something the federal government started as some of the newer states were were founded uh, west of the Mississippi, where they stopped uh, turning over the lands to the state upon statehood um, and hanging on to them. Uh, which is why you see all the federal ownership in western states and you don't see that uh, in eastern states. You know, you can look at the percent of federal ownership of a state like Ohio, and it's less than 1% of the land area uh, because that state got all its land <laughs> and then sold it into private ownership. You know, the state may have held on to some, but not not the federal government. And uh, I have to agree with Wayne, uh, you know, it is our lands. You know, if you go back to the Constitution, it was a grant of powers by the people to the federal government. It wasn't a grant of rights to the people from the federal government. And we, the people, form that government. So anything that government owns is owned by us. And and technically, according to the Constitution, there's very little lands the federal government should own. They should own forts and a capital and a few other uh exceptions and and that's it they're not supposed to own land and you know that's something that i I 
still don't understand why people don't go back and understand that constitutional basis of the federal government shouldn't be owning 53% of Oregon. It should should be in state control or county control or better yet, private hands because the private sector certainly will take care of property. Who's more motivated to take care of the land, a farmer or the state? A forester that owns it uh, for benefit or or the state? You know, it's too easy for the state to do things like this fire borrowing issue where they, they don't set aside adequate funds to fight fires and they let fires grow out of control to where they, they take until the rains start in the fall to actually be put out. You know, they spend millions of dollars fighting these fires and really it's more about just kind of controlling them and, and letting them go uh, ultimately uh, till when the rain rains begin because uh, there's no way they're gonna put out the Checo Bar fire. And there's no way they're going to, uh, you know, put out some of these fires until really the fall rains come to the Northwest. And so they're spending millions of dollars, mostly in just trying to keep the size down. And that's um, a pretty sad thing. And it's, you know, it's sad because, you know, I've been in the forest and toured post-fire, a lot of fires. I, you know, I've been down to the Big Windy Complex. I've toured the Yellow Point fire here. And it, it's interesting because you can a lot of times see where the fire stopped. And quite often that stop line is private property. It runs hard in the federal property, gets up to where it was in private ownership and where it was well managed. Yeah, and there, the fuels were controlled and the ladder fuels were were kept down. And they make the stop at that point where it transitions over from federal ownership to private ownership. And that's, you know, just goes to show you that's what we need in our in our federal forest possibly. So I have to agree with Wayne uh, and, you know, I'll keep fighting that fight. It's one of the reasons why Lane County is participating in the class action suit against the state of Oregon uh, relative to the uh, state forest trust lands. Um, and the, and the mismanagement the state's been doing on that on, on those lands. So we we are fighting in this group and trying to get control of these lands and to try and make better use and better management of it. So uh, Wayne brings up a really valid point, and I have to agree with him on that. But you know, it even goes beyond you know the whole damage from fires and the mismanagement, the failure to. to reduce fuels and the failure to do initial attack well you know when you think about what's actually being burned up and and you know as i watched this weekend um the coverage of the hurricane in florida hurricane irma watched the week before the coverage of of the flooding in texas and thinking about wow they're going to need a lot of wood in both those states to recover and what are we doing right now in Oregon? We're burning up the recovery in Florida and Texas right now and, and, and breathing it in as smoke in Oregon. So we're, we're burning Florida and Texas recovery uh, in our national forest right now. And that could, you know, we're gonna end up, you know, importing uh, lumber from other places to build, rebuild those homes uh, and, it's just it's a sad thing. It's it's just sad to watch all that resource go up in smoke. And in addition to that, you know, we had um, at the county yesterday, we had a work session about our road funds and road funding. And everybody knows there was a big transportation package passed here in Oregon and House Bill 2017. Um, and it brought um, a significant significant amount of money to uh, Lane County in future years. It, it brings us about two and a half million in the upcoming budget, about five million in the following budget, and ultimately builds up to about $11 million a year, about 12 years out from now. And uh, it sounds like a lot of money, but in the last SRS payment, um, full SRS payment, we got about $20 million in our road fund from federal federal government replacing the timber receipts. 
And those SRS payments were nowhere close to replacing the actual inflation adjusted amount. We used to get from timber harvested and sold that started on U.S. Forest Service lands because it's the U.S. Forest Service timber harvest that goes into county road funds. And that's supposed to compensate us for the damage you know, that timber trucks do to our county roads and to provide the access out to the forest so they can actually market, you know, have the marketable timber. But with all these fires and, and the lack of management, there's another issue there. And that's, we're not getting our roads funded. And, it, and it's really nice we're getting to plan how we're gonna spend this extra money from this, 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 all these new taxes that we've had to tax ourselves in Oregon. But we used to get over twice as much money a year from federal U.S. forest timber harvest into our county coffers here in Lane County. And that used to pay for our, our road maintenance. It's why we have really good roads and our roads are in good condition right now, although they're, they're headed in the wrong way without this new money coming in uh, to kind of stop that, that progression. But, uh, yeah, we wouldn't have to be raising our gas tax by six cents a gallon and two cents every year for every two years for the next six years. Um, we wouldn't be raising car registration fees. We wouldn't be doing all that if we were still harvesting U.S. Forest Service lands in the state. And if you think about, you know, that used to be the norm in the 70s and 80s uh, you know, before the spotted owl. Uh, even back into the 60s, you know, that's where we got the funds to build the roads. That's where we got the funds to keep them in such great shape in this in this county. Um, and now we're going to have, uh, you know, get a meager about half that amount and feel really fortunate we're getting that um, out of this new set of taxation um, while we're burning down what used to provide twice that amount to our counties. So. Uh, really a sad situation here in Oregon, watching all that smoke uh, you know, roll into the valleys, uh, cause the problems, uh, you, know, uh, I, you know, I know, my fellow Commissioner Sorensen, who we, I don't agree with on a lot of these issues, uh, uh, but he used up more asthma medicine last week, he told me, than he's used in the last 10 years. You know, he's an asthmatic and has issues and he's had to use uh, his emergency inhalers and all sorts of um, uh, nebulizers and everything else just trying to keep breathing uh, and, and staying indoors constantly. Uh, just really sad to, to have that situation um, happening here in Oregon where we're burning something that could be employing people and, and, and good employment. You know, if, Forest jobs, yes, they're not as many because uh, we have uh, automa automations changed the way we work the forest for the better because it's a lighter footprint on the forest. Uh, and there's uh, mills have gotten more automated, so there's not as many jobs. But the jobs that there are there, because they're so automated, are pretty high tech and they pay really well. And even the ones that aren't high tech, like the guys that set the chokers of the fallen timber, you know, that's the, the big cables around the timber to drag them up, you know, drag them up the hill to, to put them on the trucks. Those guys start, the starting wage for one of those guys is $18 to $20 an hour. $36 to $40,000 a year. Just if, you know, no education required, just if you've got a, you know, a good set of legs and a strong enough back to haul those things around and wrap them around a tree, and then, you know, the smarts to get out of the way and, and while they're being dragged up the hill, you know, an 18-year-old kid can be a choker setter and, and earn $36,000 a year with no, it doesn't even need a high school diploma. You know, that, that's an amazing uh, wage, and that's, you know, not atypical of what timber jobs pay. And, you know, here we are burning that up, not employing people, not providing our road funds. And it, and it's all because we, you know, we've, we've gone the wrong direction, you know, the, you know and, and gone to the completely hands-off management of, of our U.S. Forest Service 
lands, which were supposed to be multi-purpose lands. You know, don't get me started on the ONC lands that are single-purpose lands, uh, but at least we're doing some harvest in the ONC, whereas we're getting absolutely nothing off of the U.S. Forest Service lands. So, um, which kind of, you know, gets around to another issue that came up for me this week. Um, had a uh, association of Oregon counties meeting that I attended on Monday by by phone conference, and had a presentation at that meeting from somebody uh, from the Oregon Housing and Community Services Department, where they presented data on housing affordability. And there was a, a map presented in her presentation that had color-coded, um, you know, how badly each county is doing relative to housing affordability and stress. And when you look at that map, and I, and I posted it on my uh, Facebook page this last week, Lane County is in that darker green, which means we've got greater than uh, 30 some percent. I forget what the exact number is that that color coding is. Um, that are greater than, yeah, it's from 31 to 38% uh, of folks in our county have severe rent burdens. And what they mean by that is they're paying 50% or more of their monthly income in just keeping a roof over their head. So as you think about all those good timber jobs that pay so well, and all that good timber that could be building houses going up in smoke and could keep the cost of, of you know, the, the housing down through lower, lower lumber prices, you know, that just doesn't make sense to me. You know, and two of the county, two other counties that are sitting in that same designation are Jackson and Josephine counties, counties that should be timber counties. But, you know, the rough and ready mill down there in, in uh, Josephine County has been shut down. And that's why there's no place for that Chetco bar uh, salvage logging uh, to go or, you know, at this point, because there's no mill down there. Um, and then you wonder why there's people that can't afford housing uh, in this state. So it all ties together. You know, poor forest management, heavy fires, economic impact, lack of jobs, family wage, good family wage jobs. And here we are with a, you know, over 30% of the people in Lane County that pay more than 50% of their monthly income in rent. Now that that's a real struggle for folks and and something I don't like being a leader in, but unfortunately, uh, we are one of the most rent burdened counties in this state. Uh, and it's uh, there are lots of reasons why uh, one of them, you know, our, our land management laws in this state have also added to the cost of housing. But at the same time, some of these policies that, that keep some of our uh, highest paying, best paying jobs uh, from being flourishing uh, are, are part of that reason. We need to you know, have good paying jobs and we need to find a way to get more housing uh, built and, and on the books here so that the rents you know, stop going up so fast and maybe we can get people's heads above water. Uh, but you know, it all kind of ties together you know, uh, from wildfires to, to roads to, to housing there's little bits and pieces of that all tied together here in Lane County and I've been dealing with that as a county commissioner. So today's a, a free-for-all day on the Bo's Nose Show and, and Wayne got in and, and got his two cents in on, on forest policy management. And if you want to get in and talk about that or anything you want to talk about, because free-for-all day means you call in and you steer the topic of the conversation, give us a call on the Bo's Nose Show at 646 721-9887 and just press one lets us know you want to get in on the conversation because we do get people that call in and just listen to the show on their phone when they can't get an internet um, signal. Uh, you can always do that also. Uh, it's a simple way to get into the Bose Nose Show is just dial it and you can listen on your phone if you're traveling in the car or something like that, hopefully on a hands-free system. 
because uh, don't want to get run afoul of our new state laws on hands-free systems, which uh, we can have a completely different discussion about that and how they kind of forgot about some professions that actually have to use a radio now and then, like uh, construction truck drivers and a few other things where they actually, that's the way they, they communicate to, to you know, steer trucks here and there, or log truck drivers have to use CB radios as they get out in the woods because there is no cell service. Uh, <laughs> and the, the CB radios is how they, they get the, you know, a lot of those uh, logging roads in some places are one-way traffic and they kind of let people know what, when people are coming and going so they don't end up, uh, you know, bumper to bumper and having to back down a, a, a twisty turny logging road. Um, so it it's a, uh, Amazing some of the unintended consequences when people pass laws in, in anywhere in government. I try and think about that sometimes as I'm I'm doing the same as a county commissioner. What what's the unintended consequences of the, what I'm doing, the action I'm taking, uh, and it's uh, kind of interesting. But uh, today's a free for all day again. Again, the number is six four six seven two one nine eight eight seven. Again, just press one. Let's uh, Robin, my call screener and producer extraordinaire, know you want to get in on the conversation. And um, you know, speaking of unintended consequences of laws and everything, you know, we passed Measure ninety one in this state, uh, and it's not something I completely disagree with because I'm being kind of a libertarian. What you want to do to your own self, as long as you're not harming somebody else, I, you know, that's fine by me. I, I don't want to know what you do in your bedroom, and I don't want to know what your favorite way of, uh, you know, uh, decompressing is, whether it's a glass of scotch or it's a, um, you know, uh, something that you grew in your backyard. But uh, part of the unintended consequences of Measure 91 has been a lot of conflict between neighbors and, and with as far as the folks that want to grow pot and the folks that have to live next to somebody that wants to grow pot. And I had something come up this week for the second time and 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 I, I'm kind of, you know, it dropped my jaw because I thought the first time I heard it, oh, this this must just be a real unusual case. But we had some folks come in and, and uh, give uh, public testimony. We take um, public comment at the beginning of every one of our board meetings, something I'm really uh, proud that we do. You can come in and speak to the board of commissioners for three minutes on any topic you want to talk about. As long as you don't, you know, get too disrespectful or, uh, you know, crazy, you, you can talk about anything you want uh, for three minutes to the five elected officials that, that uh are elected to uh, represent you as your government here in Lane County. But we had a couple people come in and talk about living next to this marijuana grow. And one of the things they talked about was that kind of some of the implied threats um, for people to stay away and not, not get too curious and don't complain about us. You know, things like, you know, being told how many ARs they've got stored up in, in, at the site and, and all that to uh, somebody that was that walked past the grow with her 11 year old daughter and all of a sudden appeared above her while she's and mind you she was walking on a county roadway in county right away public right away appears above her a drone you know one of these you know remote controlled drones with a camera uh, mounted underneath of it, one of those swivel cameras, you know, with the four props. You've, everybody's seen them and play, probably played with one maybe at one point. Uh, this drone appears above this woman and her daughter and then followed her the entire way back to her house in, to the point where she went inside. And, and that level of kind of intimidation and invasion of privacy, I thought was a really unusual thing because I had actually heard about it once before. And, it, and the other time was also associated with a marijuana grow halfway across Lane County in a completely different area of Lane County. This was down in Cottage Grove. The one I was familiar with is near Bonita. And um, somebody was actually followed you know, by a drone there and has been consistently buzzed by the drone, um, seemingly to try and you know, either look for um, violations on that property that the, the marijuana owner can call in and kind of you know 
tit for tat sort of thing and um uh, it just seems a form of intimidation that that's like the new technology now now you can you know it's not just about having a set of binoculars and always peeking through the blinds at your neighbor now you can fly a drone over their house and kind of intimidate your neighbor into submission with with the drone uh the the new high-tech thing so um really you know we go from legalizing marijuana to intimidating people with drones uh never thought i'd i'd be concerned about that and uh kind of wonder what people think about you know should there be more regulation of drones should there be more uh, uh laws that allow for you know i quite frankly i was wondering if it happened to me would i pull my shotgun out and take the thing out you know and then would i be in trouble for shooting the damn thing down uh, <laughs> you know you know what's the law there you know am i allowed to shoot it if it's over my property um and filming me yeah, that, that that's a good question. I don't know. Um, drone law is actually controlled at the state level. There's there's a preemption on local local regulation of drones. I found out after doing some research when the first incident was was reported to me, um, and I just kind of wonder is is it where 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 do you draw the line? And would you you know that that those drones are being controlled by private citizens? What about a drone being controlled by your local government? and flying around and looking for uh, building code violations and, and zoning code violations and other ways to maybe enhance their revenue and, and uh, be big brother. Are you okay with that? You know, wh you know where, where are we now with drones and, and what do you think? You know, give me a call here on the Bose Nose Show, 646-721-9887. Again, that's 646 721-9887. Tell you, it kind of uh, makes me a little uncomfortable thinking about um, somebody being able to just fly that drone over. Now, technically, I think there's something where you're supposed to have the drone in your visual, um, so you can't like fly it over a neighbor's where you can't see it. But I think that's pretty much, you know, not easily enforced, um, whether somebody's actually got line of sight with their drone. So it's, it's a, uh, you know, it's a whole new world out there. And, and, it's a whole, and uh, whole I can answer that question for you, Jay. Sure, Robin. Because uh, I've looked into it. Uh, and I believe that any drone that's over a half ounce or two an ounce or something like that, very light, has to be registered with the FAA. And the drone must be in visual sight at all times. So the ones that go off um, on their own, you know, miles away and are out of visual sight of the operator are not allowed. Yeah, and, and in both these cases, from the descriptions I got from the people, they were out of the visual sight of the operator. But you know, by the time you call the FAA or something like that and, and say there's a drone over my house and I think I know where it came from, and you know, they come down and you know, I, I doubt the the state. It's actually it's actually not the FAA you would call. You'd have to call the state aviation department. Um, which I don't know how well funded they are and how many enforcement people they have. But, you know, by the time that state person shows up at somebody's house in Cottage Grove and says, were you flying a drone over so-and-so's yard? And they go, no. <laughs> yeah. What, who, you know, how are you going to prove that? You know, how, you know, can you get a, get a photo of the drone? You know, that wasn't my drone. You know, and, you know, a phone with a phone photo you know how well well they actually show up um it's just it's uh a nearly impossible to enforce law you know as much as you know some of the laws around marijuana grows are so difficult to enforce and the state um, agencies that have been charged with enforcement of those marijuana grow laws have been extremely underfunded in their enforcement departments there's there's like one person that covers two counties here in Lane County and Douglas County for OLCC and their grows, and at OHA and the medical side even worse as far as enforcement personnel go, uh, and their ability to actually get out and look on site at a at a problem that they, you know, somebody complains about. So it's uh, one of those, you know, getting back to that unintended consequences of of taking uh, action and legislation as they you know, looked at how to roll out uh, 
legalizing recreational and medical marijuana, I think they've made some real boo-boos and they've got to make some corrections on it because it sure has led to a lot of conflict. It's my number one by amount of calls, complaints from constituents have to deal with marijuana grows. And this time of year, I start getting them because as the plants mature from the outdoor grows and even some of the greenhouse grows that are timed with um, the, the um, not you know on timer lights, but actually using um, natural light, this is this is the time of year they stink the worst. September into early October, I will get the most calls about how bad it stinks. And I've been to a constituent's house that was complaining, and you literally did not want to be out in their yard. It was gagging how strong the smell was. And, and if you have sensitivity like asthma or allergies, it can actually cause you um, to have an asthma attack in the next yard over. You know, so there's got to be some some control over that. And the fact that they let medical be grown in residential neighborhoods, that's where the major conflicts are happening and where the state needs to make some changes in the laws. And um, we'll see where that goes in the future. But that's, you know, you get into all sorts of uh, interesting things as you think about doing new things with laws and unintended consequences, uh, whether it's laws that are intended to try and limit people from distracted driving and actually uh, cause trouble with actual people that need to be able to talk on things to actually be safe in their operation of their um, livelihoods, like truck drivers and construction sites and loggers, et cetera. Um, you know, and for us, you know, solid waste management trucks uh, that need to be able to communicate when they're out on the the, the tipping deck um, uh, at the uh, landfill. Uh, it, there's all sorts of reasons um, to have to pick up a handheld radio mic and communicate as a truck driver. <laughs> Actually, um, I want to correct you on one one thing. I'm looking at HB 2597 and I tell you, sometimes, you know, what pisses me off is when these guys are saying enacted by the people. Anyways, what is an exception and is uh, section I, which is in operating a two-way radio device that transmit radio communications transmitted by stations operated on an authorized frequency, a frequency within a citizens or family radio service bands in accordance with the rules of the Federal Communications Commission. So 27 megahertz, which is CB radio. Um, like the way this reads would still be uh, would still be valid, including um, a person that holds a valid amateur radio license issued or other license issued by the Federal Communications Commission is again. Yeah, and that, that's not the entire entirety of the bill because I think um, part of what it talks about in there is, is being able to do some of that stuff hands-free where not you you know where they would want you to have a system like my sink in my car where I literally just cut press a button on my steering wheel to answer the phone and everything's uh, speakerphone and 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 remote mic and I don't take my hands off the wheel at any time because um, I know one of the things we're our public works department has asked us to 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 go back to Salem to fix is the, they did put some exceptions into those laws. They forgot to exempt um, uh, folks driving trash trucks. <laughs> well, that's the thing. This is one of those things where you're trying to fix stupid. I mean, to be honest, you know, I I grew up um, using CB radio for you know emergency services and other things, and and with the stick shifts, you got to be more aware. And you're trying to patch something just because somebody's being stupid and punishing the rest of us, you know, the, the 80% that um, are actually not distracted. In fact, I would say, really, to be honest, you need to prove that the driver is distracted. I mean, like in California or, or one of the other, um, I, I think it's, it's uh, California, if you're e even eating a cookie, you can get cited as being a distracted driver. You know, at what point does it become totally ridiculous? Yeah, yeah, and that's the that you know trying to fix stupid and and not thinking about the unintended consequences. Yeah, they, you know, 
what do you do now if you've got an older car with a stick shift? Are you technically violating things because you're operating something that's handheld? Exactly. It's not a hands-free accessory if you want to get technical about that or yeah. their definition that um, when allows a use a person to maintain both hands on the steering wheel, finding it, and any mo mobile communications device um, that is permanently or not permanently installed in the vehicle. Well, what is an AM radio? Yeah. Yeah, back in the old days. Although I did have a friend as a teenager that got in a wreck trying to tune in a, a Baltimore Orioles game. Uh. Well, look at it this way. The, the new cars are touchscreens. You know, it's not like my oh, yeah. car that I can change the channel without taking my eyes off the road. Yeah, yeah. It, it's, yeah they're almost as bad, some of these touchscreen um, devices, because you have to go through so many menus to get to the menu you want and all that stuff. And it's like you're looking at that touchscreen more than you're looking at the road. Um, yeah, I just, it, it's, uh, people just have to use some common sense. And, and it's about driver behaviors and 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 uh, distracted let's, driving was already illegal. Well, let's get in. If you want to talk about distracted driving, uh, how many times did, how many times did you see a law enforcement officer cross over the line because he's looking at his computer while he's driving? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You want to talk about distractions? Sit sit in the you know whenever they have one of those, like we had the. Lane County Sheriff's Department had a couple cars at the Benita Harvest Fest this weekend. You sit down in the in the driver's seat of that. You've got computer screens to your right mounted on, you know, those floating devices. You've got um, uh, speed radar displays. You know, you know, they have the Doppler radars that can catch a car coming at you and things. It, I mean, it looks like a jet cockpit in there. And most of those devices, you have to touch a button to operate or touch a screen or, you know, you know the, there's a keyboard for the computer, you know? Exactly. And granted, there has to be some ex exclusions so the officer can do his duties, per se. Yeah. But, again, uh, we're counting them to use common sense not to be driving down the freeway at 60 miles an hour and looking what just came up on their screen or whichever. Yeah, so much of, of law would be unnecessary if people use common sense and, and uh, you know, we wouldn't wouldn't need half the laws we have. But it, it's pretty amazing just how people can, um, you know, and, and it's, you know, one of the things that we're talking about with our road fund money is we get some additional money back is we're going to concentrate on trying to make roads safer uh, around the county. And that's things like having to put centerline rumble strips in some of these rural uh, highways out in the county so that people, it wakes people up when they do start to drift. Right. It's like we're having to spend money doing things that we shouldn't have to do because people are just not paying attention. And, and, and uh, you know, it's, it's sad in some ways. That, well, that, to be honest, some people are stupid. Like I see people that don't even slow down for a stop sign. I mean, it's one yeah. thing to do a California roll, but I mean, not even to slow down for it. Yeah. And I get mad at them because those are the guys that raises my insurance rates. Yeah. At the very least, you know, in addition to if they hit somebody, of course, but, you know, how it affects me personally, it raises my insurance rates because it changes the, uh, all the accidents that they cause, raises the, the rating in the area, and that raises your rates. Yeah. And it amazes me how many people don't understand how crosswalks work. As, as vehicle drivers and pedestrians, uh, uh, I've got I've got a I got a bitch on that one. <laughs> now you're going down Six Seventh Street. You got three crazy lanes now. Not to mention what the drunk architect did to those streets. And somebody <laughs> wants to just all of a sudden step out in the middle of the, you know, step out in a non-marked uh, crosswalk to cross the street. You obey the law to stop to let them go, and you get rear-ended because. No, but, you know, the people two lanes over don't see the other driver and don't expect you to stop. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, some of that, you know, that's bad pedestrian behavior, but good driver behavior to stop. But it's amazing and it, how many people think you shouldn't have stopped for that guy. Uh, well, uh, I look at it, at, you know, I look at it as far as safety. You know, 
you know, as a pedestrian, we were taught you wait for traffic. If it's not safe for me to stop for that pedestrian, I'm not stopping. I'm yeah. not going to get hit because of following our, you know, if the law is, if the law is going to cause physical harm or damage or dangerous, uh, I'm sorry, I'll, I'll risk paying the fine versus uh, injuring myself or somebody. Yeah. Well, it looks like we're kind of got off topic a little bit, but it's a free-for-all day. And uh, this has been the Bo's Nose Show. And uh, we talked a little bit about unintended consequences, starting from how we manage our forest wildfires that we're having. And uh, got all the way around to road funds and pot growing and drones, housing costs. And now we're talking about hands-free systems and then pedestrians. Just how people can't, we can't really uh, fix it with our laws either. Um, so, we really got a lot of subjects in today on the Bose Nose Show. So, hopefully, next we we'll get a chance to call in and talk about what you want to talk about here with me, your West Lane County Commissioner, Jay Bosevich. Thank you for listening today, and we'll talk to you next week. Have a great week. Enjoy the day. This is the Bose Nose Show. Good evening, downtown Elmira.